Well, I, I want to go to uh, the Gospel of John and chapter 13. Now, this is a very special, the Word of God is very special, as you know. But uh, this is very special, these, these last, actually the, the, the five chapters, chapters 13 <coughs> begins at around verse 31, so that's where we'll begin reading. Chapters 13, verse 31 through 14, 15, 16, and then in 17, the last verse in 17, uh, the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. All these chapters are... Uh, what had happened with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. Uh, it's, it's, it's called uh, his farewell discourse, these chapters, or the upper room discourse. And uh, these are G- uh, our Lord's farewell words to his disciples. Uh, it is a Thursday. Uh, it's Thursday night. And uh, they are partaking of the Passover, the Last Supper. And it was uh, at that time Jesus washes the feet of his disciples just before that. And then he has the Passover. And then they sit at his feet and he begins to talk to them. And uh, as I said, this lasts from 13 through 14 all the way to 17 and uh, it's his farewell speeches to them, his farewell words. Thursday is uh, often called a, a Maundy Thursday when we, uh, around Easter time, right? There's Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, which we're all familiar with, Good Friday, and, uh, and Easter Sunday. The Maundy Thursday is the Last Supper, is the time of the Last Supper. And uh, the word Maundy, uh, is a Latin word, and it means command. And it comes from this this discourse here. And so let's hear now from uh, verse 31. I'll just read maybe to verse 35 uh, of chapter 13. And stop there. It's actually from 31 to 38 that I might touch upon, but let's just go from 31 to 35. This is uh, the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, so it certainly is the word of God. Uh, Chapter 13, beginning verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, and this was when Judas was dismissed. So now he's speaking to his true blue disciples. He's speaking to those who will not betray him, who will not abandon him, at least after a while, we know that later on Peter denies him, and in fact, he, he talks about this in this uh, in in verse uh, verse thirty eight, right? And Jesus said uh, <laughs> that the cock shall not crow till thou denies me thrice three times. That's in verse thirty eight. But anyway, so now uh, Judas is dismissed. He goes to do uh, his dastardly business, and. Uh, and now Jesus shares with the rest of the disciples, the true disciples, believers. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So it's not only Jesus that's going to be glorified, but God the Father as well is glorified. 
And uh, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, uh, that's a term of endearment. It's not a put down like they're childish or anything like that, but it's a term of endearment. He calls them his little children. Uh, He's, in other words, I love you. Uh, Yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment. See, there's the the Mondi thing, the command. Uh, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's just stop there and say a word of prayer. Heavenly Lord, we are thankful uh, to be here tonight. We are thankful to be in your presence, always in your presence, but especially in worship, a worship that you approve of, a worship of your people in spirit and in truth. And such are we because of your grace, your amazing grace working within us. And so we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would join us some more now, that you would join us here with your spirit, and that you would be a blessing to us and we to thee. And this we, uh, we pray in your wonderful name. Amen. MacArthur says uh, uh, that uh, this, uh, this prayer, uh, in John 17, for example, where he ends his, uh, his upper, upper room discourse, uh, he extends his prayer in that prayer. If you read John 17, if you read John 17, you will find that he not only prayed for his own there, but for all who will believe in their message. So he, it extends, this upper room discourse extends to all disciples of Jesus Christ, not just to the immediate ones, but to all true believers. And he calls it, John MacArthur calls it, it's uh, Jesus' legacy to us to his own, his final will and testament to all believers, to all of us. And what is that? A new commandment, verse 34, I give to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Repeats it in verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. That is the mark of a true disciple. You want to know if you're a Christian, if you truly are a Christian. It's not just to believe in this doctrine or that doctrine, not just that you go to Calvary Church and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church or anything like that. You want to know you're a disciple? This is how you know you're a true disciple, because you love one another. That's how you know. That's how you find that out. And talk about more. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a, a little bit. <clears throat> you know, there are many symbols that people use by uh, uh, today to telegraph what uh, what it is they believe, uh, <clears throat> with which they uh, identify. Symbols used perhaps to say what we would like ourselves and others to think about us. Crosses and and bracelets and shirts with Bible verses printed on them. Bumper stickers, flags, banners, uh, things like that. And we understand that such symbols are a way of communicating, uh, even, even a way to uh, start up a conversation with someone uh, to whom we, we want to bear witness. 
And we also understand that everyone that wears or displays a Christian symbol is not necessarily a believer, right? A true believer. <clears throat> In order to get to a person, uh, a person's uh, truly held belief, in order to find out where a person really is at, you must know the person's character. What does Peter, Pugliati, what does Peter truly love? For that, where your heart is, that's where you're at. you got to get to know the person in order to find out where that person is at. And that's what Jesus is coming to here when he says that, that you are to love one another. You know, your group of people, you say you're Christians, you're part of the church and all that. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Do you love one another? And uh, <clears throat> a true Christian is a born-again soul, right? He has the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, abiding in him and with him. And the spirit gives to the regenerated believer spiritual fruit. And what is the first fruit mentioned by Paul in Galatians? Love, right? From love, that's the first fruit. From the fruit of love come all the other fruits. Joy, peace, patience, all that, long-suffering, faithfulness, and so on. All come from the one fruit, love. What then is a Christian to be known for? And according to our text, a Christian is to be known for his love. Love for God and love for each other, love for the church. All the promises Jesus made to his disciples and to us by extension, all the promises that are yea and amen in Jesus Christ flow from the limitless Limitless love, which is, by the way, it's limitless because it's mentioned in the uh, in the first verse of this chapter, uh, chapter thirteen. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew the hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. In other words, he loved them with a limitless love. He loved them with an eternal and everlasting love. And that begins this whole chapter here uh, in, uh, in John's Gospel. All the blessings, all the gifts, all the promises, the list of mercies, the list goes on and on. All things towards us from God flow out of his divine and eternal love. Love, And what he asks in return for that, that limitless love towards us that has no qualifications, no quantifications, all that he asks from us in return is to love each other. The doctrines, the truths we preach and publish, reveal what we believe. They are vitally important. If you don't have the right doctrine, you're going to be led astray. You're going to, you're going to build on that, that error, some more error. And that's what a lot of churches have done. Very important. Oh, what we preach and what we publish is vital as doctrine. Uh, but what is of paramount 
importance is love. Unless our beliefs are translated into actions, they remain theoretical. Love is the supreme language of God and of his book, the Bible, and yes, of his people. Doctrine informs the world of our content, while love shows the world our power. Someone asked John MacArthur once, why are Christians so despised and hated and persecuted? At least in the West, all over the world, really, but certainly even in the West, even here. And he answered, because of our love and our forgiveness. You see, you don't, you don't see, hear them putting down, you know, talking down or treating with contempt and despite Islam. Why? Because people will, they, people fear reprisal from them. You won't get a reprisal from Christians. You'll get forgiveness. You get gentleness. You get a loving response. So they're not afraid. People aren't afraid to put us down and to criticize us and to call us all kinds of names. Not only are we instructed to love one another, we are even instructed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to love our enemies. <clears throat> the spirit working within us uh, is our power. He is, uh, it is that transforms us. The spirit of God transforms us into children of God. He trans transforms us by, uh, uh, by his agape. That's the supreme love. Like there's four words used for love in the, in the Bible. We use one word, love, and we mean all kinds of stuff with it. We get very confused by love. But the, the Greeks had seven words, really, and four of them are used in the Bible. Right? What is it? Sto Stoki, which is, is, is family love. Love of your family. Then there is uh, eros, which is romantic love or sexual love. And there's uh, <coughs> phileo, that's brotherly love, friendship love. And then there is agape, and that is divine love. And that's the kind of love that, that is used by John four times in these two verses. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Four times agape is used. The supreme love, it's the love of God. And uh, certainly our love can be broken down in a few, a few ways in, the, in this passage. It's been bro broken down to the love for God's glory. In other words, we, want, we love to glorify God. That's in our heart. We desire to, to glorify Him in, in, by the things we say and, and do, especially in our worship services, but, but everywhere, uh, and every, every day and every, okay, on every occasion. We're also to, uh, to uh, have love for our brother's welfare. We, we want our brother or our sister to prosper. 
uh, spiritually speaking. We want them to advance. Uh, that's part of love as well. And there's also the love of loyalty, a personal uh, loyalty, commitment to the cause of Christ, come what may. And uh, <clears throat> this goes to the heart of the question, how do I know that I'm a true believer? And uh, I don't know how many of you have ever asked yourself that question, if that ever even came to mind. Uh, but a lot of Christians do ask that question of themselves. How do I know that I'm a true believer? I have just gone out and done this terrible thing. How do I know that I truly believe God? That the Spirit of Christ is alive and well in me and moving me. The love God uh, demonstrated towards his, uh, his people, his elect, by sending into the world his only begotten Son, who demonstrated his love for his own by giving his whole life for them, for us, and then giving the spirit of love to them, who in turn demonstrates that love of God in, in each other, is to learn that I am a true believer. I am a Christian, a true believer, because my heart, my soul, my being tells me I am, because I love. I love God. I love his church. It is my life. Is that true for you? First, I love the Lord. I am consumed by and with his glory. My chief end in life is, uh, since I have been born again, is to glorify God. As First Peter 4, verses 11, that's all we are desiring to do. Not all, but it's, it's what we first want to, want to do. We want to just, just love him with every, with every uh, core of our being, with all our strength. First uh, Peter 4.11, for example, I just want to read some scripture here, but I don't want to take, uh, take too much time to do that. Because I, I, I'm sure you trust what I'm saying, but uh, there's there's a lot here. If uh, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's what I want to do. If I speak my words, I want to, I want them to be like oracles from God. If any man minister, let him do so with the ability that God gives him. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. I want all my strength in that direction. And this was new to the disciples. Yes, they they knew the scriptures. They were they were raised in in a culture steeped in religion. But they were consumed with themselves, the disciples. When uh, Jesus opens their heart, they're, they're awestruck. They're, they're changed, radically changed. Something much greater than themselves 
overcame them. They were filled with something new, something wonderful, something lovely. They were becoming new creatures through the overpowering of God's Spirit. They saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They saw the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he brought them. It was a New Testament. It was a new commandment for a New Testament. It was a new love. The old passed away. Behold, all things for them suddenly became new. So verses 31 and 32, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man, Jesus, he, he, uh, he uh, lets Judas go. God shall also glorify him himself, and so straight away glorify him. Uh, Judas is dismissed, and now Jesus announces his glory. And what does his glory? He says, now is the time when I'm glorified. In the very first verse of this chapter, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, his hour had finally come. This is the time it had come. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father. His hour had come. Now is the time of his glory. He's saying, listen to what he said again. Now is the Son of Man, in verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified. What's he talking about? His trial, his mockings, his crucifixion, followed by his resurrection, followed by his ascension, followed by his Glorification followed by his coronation. But it all begins, excuse me, at the cross. It all begins. His glory, his glorification begins at the cross. And this is new, new to the disciples. Glory beginning at the cross, that's a change. God glorified him through death? Through his sacrifice? Yes, because through his sacrifice, he brings many sons and daughters to God. Through his glorious death and at the cross, justice and mercy kiss, as others have said. By his stripes we are healed, as the prophet says. And he brings glory to us. Through his suffering, glory to us, through suffering, through death. This is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son, God gave his son a sacrifice for sin, your sin and mine. A new commandment. Why is this a new commandment? The Old Testament speaks of Leviticus 19.18 and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves in Deuteronomy 6 love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength 
Jesus spoke about, in Gospel of Matthew, for example, the greatest commandment is to love God with all that you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love one another. What's new about that? Well, there are several reasons given. I'm going to give you four. And I'm going to tell you which is the best one. The first is it's new because the disciples had lost their way. The disciples, they... They, they didn't know how to do this love. They were so busy among themselves, they were arguing. You know, they had been arguing for days about who would sit in the highest place in heaven, who would have the supreme seat. And they would fight and argue about that stuff among themselves. They were so, uh, so much about themselves that uh, loving one another was just far away from them. So it was something new in that sense. The disciples lost, lost their way. The Jews lost their way, too. They were supposed to love their neighbors as themselves. God told them that. But the Jews hated everybody. They hated everyone that wasn't like them. The Pharisees loved other people. Right? The Pharisees had nothing but scorn for the outsider, contempt for the sinner, loathsomeness for the oppressed. They hated the Samaritans. All the Jews hated the Samaritans, their neighbors. So love for all others as for self was an alien practice, if not concept, to them by this time. So it was new, what Jesus was talking about. It was also new to them because what they saw in Christ, the example that that he was, he, before this, he washed the disciples' feet. What's that show? It shows that he is, uh, that, that's the lowest kind of position you get. That's, a, that's slave labor in those, those, those days. That was slave labor. Rabbis <laughs> didn't wash feet. Rabbis didn't lay down their lives for sinners. So Christ was showing them another example, a new example of love. And of course the capacity that was given to them by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, was also something that was, was new to the disciples. But there is something else here that I think is, is kind of obvious. And I'm going to give this as the best explanation. All that is true, what I just said. But I think the best explanation given is, listen, a new commandment. It's not, notice it's a commandment. So it's not something that naturally comes to us. Our nature is not to love one another. nature. Our nature is to fight. Our nature is to strive. Our nature is to hate. Our nature is to dislike this thing. To talk about one another. To be jealous and envious and all. That's in our nature. It's not the only thing about our nature, but it's a real bad, bad thing about our nature. And we all have it. So he commands this. This is not, he doesn't just command us to love one another. He commands it. And it's a new commandment. Why is it a new commandment? All the reasons I gave, yes. But this is it. That ye love one another. Not as you love yourself. You know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. No. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. 
as I have demonstrated before you in washing your feet, that you are to serve. You are to serve one another. As I'm about to show you when I go to the cross that I sacrifice. You are to sacrifice one another. And even if need be, suffer even unto death. Christians of old died for one another. They died for Jesus, yes, but they died for one another as well. They sacrificed their life for other people. For other Christians. <clears throat> Regeneration, being born again, from, born from above, is about a spiritual, supernatural miracle that changes you on the inside. And that becomes demonstrously, demonstrously clear on the outside. A true and supernatural work of God that produces a complete change, a new creation, a new disposition, new desires, new affections, new longings, new hopes, new attitudes. A new life from which flows all the spiritual graces, all the fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians. But at the most basic level, this transformation can be summed up in one word, love. It is love that demonstrates I have a new heart. Love for Christ, love for the brethren. That demonstrates, that's a positive demonstration. I truly love because the Spirit has changed my heart and my life. What the law could not do because the law condemns, the Spirit does. Love is a fulfillment of the law, as Paul remarks. Love, there is no law against love. Love fulfills the law completely. There is a, a Godward direction uh, of this love, and there is also a, a manward direction. Without this love, there's no transformation from sinner to saint. None. All the promise of God flow from love and produce in turn or in return of love. We love because he first loved us. A true believer is known, not merely because he has been delivered from darkness to light, from sin unto righteousness, but a true believer is known because he has begun to be delivered from hatred, animus, envy, jealousy, gossip, backbiting, fighting to love. This transformation, this transforming love goes in the direction of God and desires with a strong desire the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Beginning at the cross. I glory in the cross of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is where my glory begins. Just like his glory began. At the cross. I take up the cross of Christ. He told me, take up your cross. If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Take up your cross of service. Take up your cross of sacrifice. Take up your cross of suffering. I no longer belong to myself. I know that. I belong to another. Since the day I first believed, my life has changed. I no longer live for myself. I live for another. 
The life I now live, I live for Christ. Why? Because I love him from my heart. That's why. It's not a doctrinal thing. Not a theoretical thing. And because I love him, and he loves me, and not only me, but he loves his entire family. He died for his entire family. I love them too. I'm supposed to love them too. Do you know that you are a true believer? A regenerated, a born-again believer? Yeah, I know that. You see, for me, this was an easy call. Because I, I did not identify with Christians before I was saved. I was a Roman Catholic. Grew up in the Roman, Romish church. However, I, I didn't like the Roman Catholics. Certainly not the devout ones. I didn't like them at all. And I didn't even like the nominal ones, which I was one. I like people, and I don't want to get into all of it, but I like people and I love people because they made me feel good. Because they enjoyed the same things, the same sins and the lust and the, and the pride of life and living that I enjoyed. And I said, I like them, I love them. I palled with them. They made me alive or feel alive. Before, uh, it was all about me. All about me. My likes, my wishes, my desires, my feelings. In today's lingo, my truths. I could not have cared any less for Christ, his church, his people, than I cared about the furthest star in the sky. When Christ found me, all that changed. And it changed in an instant. I could think of nothing else but him, his church, and his people. I wanted to get to know everything about them. Christ, his church, his people. And this concern hasn't stopped but continues on for now almost 50 years for me. Dear brothers and sisters, do you want to know my biggest sadness? Something that, that breaks my heart? I don't get depressed, but I do get sad. Sometimes I weep. When I perceive and when I feel that a brother or a sister doesn't much care about me or my family, that breaks my heart. And you know what breaks my heart even more? When I don't care about their family. When I don't care about them. I don't care what they think. I don't care what you say. It breaks my heart to say that. And it breaks my heart that we Christians can be, be like that. We can, we can be non-loving, can't we? Too busy with my own life, my own cares. It's sad. Very sad. And I suppose my sadness is good for me because it humbles me. And God gives grace to the humble. 
causes me to revisit the Beatitudes, where Christ talks about the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those who, who are glad when, persecution, when being persecuted for Jesus' sake. It brings up uh, in me, and I just want to read a couple of scriptures and we'll, we'll go to, to the supper. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2. And, and this is, this is a, a just wonderful passage where uh, Paul, and you, and you know it, you don't have to turn there, you've heard this before. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, listen to what he says. The Apostle says, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of, of mercy, you know, deep down in your gut, just mercy, you, you have mercy. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let, let each esteem the other better than themselves. So we're not only to love our neighbors. See, the new, this is a New Testament, remember. This is a new commandment. This is a new love. We're not only to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are to love our neighbor even more than ourselves. Can you do that? No, you can't unless you have the Spirit of Christ living and abiding in you. Unless you're born again, you, can, you and I can't do that. To love someone more than I love myself. I could say that about my wife and my kids. Can I say that about my church family? That I'd give my life for my church. And then I come to thinking, do I shouldn't strive with my brother, my sister. I should be humble. I should humble myself. I should submit. I should learn. I should love. Brothers and sisters, Christ humbled himself to the point of humiliation. And you and I cannot humble ourselves more than Christ did. Can we? The humbler we are, as someone said, the more we love. The prouder we become, the less we love. Love does not seek its own, but the good of the other. And so love is very expensive. It seeks to serve others. It seeks to sanctify others. Christ comes to us uh, in a... He, he comes to us in a believer. We, we're all like little Christ, if you will. You're a Christ, I'm a Christ. That's how Christ comes to us now. We can't see him. We don't want pictures of Jesus. We don't want movies of Jesus. We don't want to, we can't see Jesus. Blessed are they who believe without seeing. Christ comes to us with each other, in each other. Do you uh, cause anyone to sin? Do you tempt anyone to sin? Do you, not, do you cause anyone to, to stumble? No, you should not. Everything you do and say, you, ought to, you, you want to cause them you, you want to sanctify them. You, you want to save them. You want them to be saved. You want them to grow in sanctification. 
You don't want to bring them down. You don't want to cause them to suffer. Jesus said, he brought that little child there and he humbled. And he said, if you don't become humble like a child, not childish, but humble like a child, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. He said, woe to you when you cause one of my little ones, just one of my little ones to stumble. It would be better that a millstone be tied around your neck and cast into the sea. It would be better that you, you never were born. If you cause one of my uh, my little ones to stumble. He's serious about this. We need to bring up people. We need to encourage people. We need to have desire their advancement. And not bring them down. Put them down. Drag them down. Talk them down. That is cursed to the Lord. Curse it. Do not be like the world, the world is, which goes out of its way to cause others to sin. Look what they're doing now. You know about it. You've heard about it. Look what they're doing now with the children. The children. What are they doing to the children? Their own children. Like the the Israelites did. They sacrificed their children to Moloch. Their sons and daughters to Moloch. They put them in the fire and killed them. Do not be like that. Come out from among them. Be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing. Woe to those who cause my little ones to sin. You will not get away with it. Your sin will find you out. Prevent it with love. Brethren, there's no partiality with God. You and I are not permitted to think little of another person. We're not to belittle another person. We're not to think a little bit of them. Not to put them down. Uh, he's not my cup of tea. Rather, you should have the attitude, he's my full-course dinner. He's my opportunity. She's my opportunity. I'm going to do all I can to help that person. Now, have I done that perfectly? Well, you know the answer to that. I don't have to tell you that. But heaven is attentive to every one of us, especially so to the littlest among us. Ignore no one, but always be ready to serve and sanctify each other to the best of your ability in Jesus Christ. I want to end with a reading from uh, Corinthians here. True believer loves enough to serve and to sanctify. You got that message. And if necessary, to suffer for the sake of Christ and for his church. You know that. It's in the books. I want us to to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, and then I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, several verses, from chapter 12, several verses, and then I am going to ask or, or bring up a question and end it with that. Mm. Uh, in 2 Corinthians... Chapter 12, in verse 15, Paul writes, And I and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. 
Even if you don't love me as much as I love you, I will spend and be spent for you. Corinthians. In, uh, in chapter 11, beginning at verse 20, listen to this. You can read along with me if you like. I'm reading from a different version, but you, you can follow it along in yours. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 20. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach as, uh, as, as though we have been weak. Howbeit, <clears throat> wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Uh, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes more uh, above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths off. Of the Jews five times received thy forty stripes, saved one. So thirty-nine stripes. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Uh, A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without... That which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I do not lie. And then in in chapter 12, it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell God knows such and one caught up in the third heaven he's talking about himself and I know such a man whether in the body or out of the body I can't tell God knows how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter of such a one will I glory yet of myself I will not glory but in mine infirmities I'm not going to glory in those heavenly things that I serve and I heard but I'm going to glory in my infirmities for though I would desire to glory I shall not be a fool for I will say the truth but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he sees uh, me to be or that he hears of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, and and that it might depart from me. And he said to me, No, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now what I want to point out from all that you just heard, and it's clear that Paul went through hell for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the church. And not only from without, but from within, because he cared about the church. And if there was a problem in the church, it was his problem. 
If there was someone weak, he was weak. If there was someone that was, uh, uh, that was offended, he burned. It was personal for him. He had personal loyalty to Jesus Christ and to his church. Now, ask a question. After all this, what does Paul fear the most? Do you think Paul fears beatings the most, or whippings, or stonings, or sicknesses, or infirmities, or demons that were to buffet him and all that? No. What does Paul fear out of all those things he went through? What does Paul fear the most? Verse 20 of chapter 12 tells us what he fears the most in the first few words. For this I fear. This is what I fear, he says in verse 20 of chapter 12. When I come... I shall not find you as I wish. When I come to see you, when I come finally see you, I will not find you as I wish. That is in love with Jesus Christ, in love with each other. That's what I fear the most. I don't fear the persecutions or, the, or, the, or even the stoning, the beatings, whatever, the whippings and all that. I fear that when I see you, you won't, it won't, you won't be found as I wish, in love with God. And so as your pastor, and I think this for the elders and the deacons as well, and you should take this to heart, elders and deacons, as well as your pastor, of course, I fear, I fear, or should I, uh, we certainly should fear that there is among us a person or persons that is not as we wish. That's the greatest fear I should have for Calvary Church and all the elders and deacons with me. That's the greatest fear, that there's a person or persons among us that does not love the Lord with everything he has and love the brethren more than himself. That's what I fear. Certainly should. May God give us grace to love one another as he loves us. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is amazing. Your word is so true. It does convince us. It does convict us. And we know we have fallen short of this love. We know we don't love as we should. We don't love you as we should. We don't love each other as we should. But we know we need to grow in that direction. And we pray that for the grace that we may do that. That we may grow in that direction more and more in love with you and with and for each other. May God... May God get all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.